Hello and welcome to another episode of Pedaling Podcast, which is live now, like on the road kind of pedaling podcast. Before I was in Melbourne for a while, talking, interviewing and getting everything prepared for my big trip back home to the UK. But now I'm live. Now I'm coming straight to you from on the road, pretty much right now. I'm um, probably about 200Ks from Perth. I've just cycled the whole of Australia, which is massive and way bigger than I even thought was possible and have pushed me to, to different levels I never thought I could go to uh, and that includes cycling on places like Nullarbor, suffering from saddle sores, from trying to figure out my next step, my next place to stay, the next place to get food, water uh, and keep moving on uh, and, and also meeting the incredible people along the way and there's so many cool interesting things that have happened and I'm going to be sharing all that in another show which will be me rambling on about what happened on my bikepacking trip from one side of Australia to the other, uh, especially all these moments when people just pull over and are like, you want, you want a beer mate? And you're like, yeah I want a beer, I've just cycled for like nearly 150k, I'm, I'm, I'm dying for a beer. And then six beers later you've got a bag of sausages, cans of beer, heading to your campsite after hanging out with some local guys that just giving you beer you know there's, there's moments like that that kind of happen and there's, there's there's bad moments as well there's moments when things have just failed on you and you, you've got to figure things out so that'll be a show coming up soon where i'll be just rambling about what's what's been happening on my bikepacking trip it'll be full of all the detail uh such as gear the things that are broken things that work things that things that i've had to change you know in terms of mentally and also physically like what i'm what i'm carrying um as well but in this show, when I was back in Melbourne, I sat and talked to Rob from Quadlock. If you don't know Quadlock, well, you should know Quadlock. I mean, they're pretty. You probably know them more for the actual look of the the lock that they have on the bike. It's like a little blue tab that comes off to the side of your phone, uh, and you may have been hit by some advertising by them as well because they're growing massively at the moment. And and to be honest, if you want to buy a lock for your phone. To go on whilst riding your bike i mean they are the only ones out there doing what they're doing right now there's there's no one else out there unless you buy like a garmin type phone case which i've had before and they're just quite flimsy not really reliable but quite like really right now is is the only one out there doing an exceptional job in this specific part of the industry so i was really excited to sit down and talk to to rob about everything from like the idea starting it up and kickstarting I mean it's something that they did uh, and then actually taking it to you know an office that they have now I mean I was there talking to Rob in his office and it had like you know 20 staff delivering worldwide uh, and also there's so many exciting things going on in, in Quadlock's uh, life now they've gone from this startup brand to uh, I guess they're kind of maturing I, I would presume now uh, in that they've actually realized that there's a potential to really grow this internationally and, and now they're really stepping into a different phase of the career as, as Quadlock people and growing the brand in different places. And I ask Rob all these questions, you know, why Melbourne? What's so unique about the, the Quadlock? Uh, how did you even go about kickstarting it? When did you realize it was an idea that was gonna actually work? Because I'm sure we all have these ideas about some, some product we could make and it would help, but we never quite validated ourselves to be able to push it into getting money off people to grow this thing and, and these guys are doing it at such a such a big level now um, so I ask him all these questions all these exciting questions about the quadlock and, and what's next as well because quadlock are, are growing into all these different places and it's really exciting to see him see him and the team kind of do this and, and explore in different ways to you work with uh, you know motorcyclists and sport people and athletes and, and things like these people and people who want to I guess connect their phone to the active lifestyle and, and be able to use the, the product devices to do that. So settle down, have a listen, uh, enjoy the show. If you have any questions, don't forget, you can hit me up directly uh, at peddlingpodcast.com or Instagram is a good place for me as well. Uh, also Facebook, just hit me up there as well. My name is John Pez. I'm traveling back home to the UK. I'm going to be in Perth in a few days. So if you're around and you want to hook up, give me some advice for the rest of my trip i'll be heading over to singapore uh, in about probably two weeks time from now which will be maybe the beginning of september october so beginning of october uh, and then going up through asia uh, and heading into india so yeah 
please hit me up if you're around enjoy the show thanks for talking to me rob thanks quite a lot guys for letting me sit down and chat for hours and taking up all your time and, and talking enjoy the show Thank you, Rob, for sharing everything. Um, I mean, by the time I get back home, I'm pretty excited to see what you guys are going to be up to because you're moving at such a cool pace. Um, I'm sure in a year's time, you're going to be absolutely everywhere. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm John, Pedaling Podcast, cycling back home to the UK. I'm arriving in Perth in two weeks' time. No, I'm leaving Perth in two weeks' time. I'm arriving in Perth in two days' time. Then I'm going to be heading to Singapore and then heading north through all the countries north from Singapore, which will be Kuala Lumpur, up into Thailand, round into Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, back into Thailand, and then up through all the rest of the countries. I can't remember which way they were. Anyway, if you want to reach out, share, give me a review, that'd be super splendid, great. Uh, in any podcast you're listening in, you can just go on there, leave a review, it really helps me. Uh, also, if you want to share it with people as well, don't forget you can just click the share buttons and share that around. That really help me grow the show as well. Lots and lots of shows coming up. Um, I did a big bunch of interviews with people back in Melbourne, and I'm really excited to be sharing that with you over the next few weeks before I head off into Asia and start filming, recording, editing, everything going on there. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. I've got a ramble show coming up next, which will be me talking about Australia, hopefully with other people as well, to share kind of the insight about bikepacking. So if you're really keen on cycling through Australia or you want to know more, um, reach out, pop me a question, and I'll try and answer it as best I can. Like I said, I'm doing the bikepacking version. I have a cyclocross kind of bike that kind of works better on gravel. Um, so my kind of routes and the things I plan are slightly different to a touring setup. So if you're keen on that, want to know more, then send me a question, listen to next week's show. Thank you. Hello, Rob. Welcome to a Pedium podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for having me in your place. Yeah, no, thanks for coming and visiting <laughs> you me invited today. me over. Um, so kind of, I guess, just explain to the audience kind of who you are. Yep, no worries. Rob from uh, Quadlock. Our actual business name is Annex Products. Most people know us as Quadlock. Mm-hmm. And a uh, co-founder. We started back in 2012. And I'm uh, actually a toolmaker by trade. A toolmaker? Yeah. Okay. And your other co-founder? He's a product designer. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I guess if, if, if no one's heard of Quadlock, like in a few seconds, can you just explain what it is? Yeah. Uh, these days, probably best described as smartphone mounting for an active lifestyle. That's what we go with. Back in the early days, probably easiest described as iPhone bike mount. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back to the early days then, because I was um, as I was doing some research, I kind of looked around and kind of like you, you guys. Would you say you started from a Kickstarter campaign, or were you, were, you, were you kind of like very active much earlier on than the Kickstarter campaign that you did? No, yeah, we we definitely started from a Kickstarter campaign, but we we were doing other businessy hacky things at the time before that. Yeah, and then what happened is we went from a a Kickstarter product, which was just like a test the market kind of product, like a product for fun, to which this has all been for fun anyway, but to Quadlock and. We, you know, no one ever had a quadlock until the ones that were produced from Kickstarter. So, yeah, there's, it's definitely started a Kickstarter. At the end of 2011, we did the quadlock Kickstarter. So, so when you, so how did it, how did it happen that you came to want to develop the actual quadlock mm. itself, the original one? Well, what the I think the original idea and then the product are probably a bit separate. Originally, CP came up with the idea of wouldn't it be cool to have your iPhone on your bike when he was living in Sydney and he got one of the first iPhones uh, like jailbreaking from America wasn't even meant to be working in Australia at the time and he was new to Sydney and he 
it's funny now that this is still probably one of the biggest features of, of an iPhone, uh, especially on a bike. As he was trying to navigate Sydney and he was pulling the phone out of his pocket all the time, mm. had Google Maps on it, and he's thinking, geez, wouldn't it be good if it just was on my bars? And then that was many, many years before we actually decided to make, you know, a consumer electronics type product, yeah. which was I'm still doing lock. This, I'm still doing the same thing because I actually dropped my phone recently and cracked yeah. the side of the yeah. screen, After trying to pull it out, doing that exact thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, a lot, we've got a lot of customers that way. I think. So, so, so between like having this idea, like how how easy was it, or how? What was the process from going from that idea to actually, you know, creating something? Yeah, well, I suppose he, when CP had the idea, he he was working on other things at the time, like working for a design mob. I don't think he was thinking about making that product at that time. He was just thinking this would be this would be a cool thing, and then it went full circle later on to being, oh, it could be a, a product that looked like this. But during that time, we'd seen interesting things happen, such as. You know, Shopify for you know e-commerce, making it easy and cheap. Um, Kickstarter, a way to validate your idea, get something to market, um, get some initial funding, and then things like uh, Facebook, which was you know social, you know, telling people about something interesting that you're doing that they might want to be involved with. So access to people. It wasn't that long before that kind of 2011, 2012 that although a lot of that stuff was a lot harder, you know, very hard. Seeing that it was possible then led to, actually, what if we did something that is like this and solve some of those problems and look like this and was this product and we could, you know, tell those kind of people about it. And then, so it's not, it's not, see now I think you'd do it a bit different. Now, yeah, definitely you can start an online business and start selling something tomorrow. Now, definitely you can crowdfund. For good examples at start, when we crowdfunded on Kickstarter, we spent, I think it was about a month, learning how to hack around Kickstarter to, to get a product even on there from Australia. There was, there was none at the time. Okay, just, just like a US only kind of US only yeah. Kickstarter, yeah. Yeah. So it was, there, was, there was barriers in the way still mm-hmm. even then. So, What about the, the conversations you guys were having? Like to, to make, yeah. When did you make the commitment? Be like, okay, look, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? Or was it a kind of like a progression that kind of... It's a bit of a progression. So we we had our first product, which is probably worth mentioning, which was opener, which was just an iPhone bottle opener. So, Okay. But that, that was really thought up. I remember I thought of it one night, but really just looking at what's something, what's a widget that could take advantage of these, you know, technologies that are coming available, getting cheaper, affordable, you know. We want to play with these things, but we need something to play with them with effectively. And then I remember coming up with the idea one night and told CP, and then he threw a design together pretty quickly within, like, I think within a day or two. And then we had this thing, and then it sort of started that way. So we did a lot of the initial learnings on another product, which was only six months before Quadlock. And then we used a lot of that, those learnings to then, and that went quite well. But then we used a lot of those learnings and some of that money to further develop and then roll into Quadlock. So it wasn't like we were doing zero and then Quadlock, but it really was only six mm. months before. So, And at this point, when, you, when you're developing Quadlock, are you thinking this could be like where you are now and what you're doing today? Yeah. Did yeah. you look back and think this is the one thing that could we, potentially turn into that? Yeah, I think we did. we did think that it could be more than just an iPhone bike mount. Uh, but I think, and we probably tried to sell it as more than that at the start, but we, I remember actually when we started having real success with it was when we went back to just being, this is the iPhone bike mount. We weren't really ready to be more than one thing at that time. Mm-hmm. When we went back to iPhone bike mount, that's really where we started having a lot of success fast. Um, and then once we sort of had that nailed, then it was actually easier later. It wasn't easy, but then we found that we were able to to add in other elements to the brand and not get too lost. And now, you know, people know us as iPhone Bite Me Out. If you talk to someone in Europe, they may just know us as uh, the um, smartphone mounts that's best for Ducati scramblers because that's just what they're into and that's what they know us as. So we're much more diverse than just the cycling market. Uh, but still, cycling is a massive part of what we do. 
So going back to the Kickstarter, I'm just really interested yeah. in because you can actually still find it. If you Google yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah. you can still yeah. find it on the yeah. first page, which is yeah. really cool. And you can click on and watch that video yeah, from back yeah, in the yeah. day. And it's yeah. like, it was just like, yeah, going back to your mm. past kind of when mm. it first started out. And um, yeah. the video made me smart because probably back then when you did it, it was kind of like, yeah, this uh, is the product. But actually, it was, how did you put everything together? Well, we, did, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like, I think we, at the time, we thought, yeah, it could be more things, but we just did the bike mount, which is the original, what we called back then Bike Mount Pro, which is now called the stem mount, uh, and the wall mount. That was it. And it was mainly just all about the bike mount. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's one of those things, like, if you look back at where you started and you don't cringe, you probably waited too long to start, mm. I'd say. But then I guess that, that, that's, that same product is still around now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's still probably one of our best products. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing there is, um, like, really cool thing there is that bike mount, we spent all the money and all the time getting the bike mount right because we were halfway through iPhone 4 at the time, I remember. And That seems a long time ago. Yeah, that's a long time ago <laughs> If you now, break it down by yeah, iPhone, yeah. you know how long ago that is. So halfway through iPhone 4, and we thought, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to make this nicer, cooler, sexier case. We're only going to get half a season out of this case, and we're going to have to make a new one. And you know, tooling's expensive, all the rest of it. So, really, all the effort went into the mount, and we made a case that was strong. The mount part of the case was good, but it was a very basic case. Now, if you look at our cases, they're all overmolded, really good protection, uh, microfiber at the back to protect the glass. Still has a quad lock and everything in it, but it's just a much better case. So we've definitely come forward, but since then, but still, as far as the actual bike mount goes, that goes on the stem, that's the same. Mm. We also have now have the out front mount, uh, very popular, and now we have an out front mount pro, which is an aluminium version that's slightly further out. So we have three versions for cycling. So, so you've launched the Kickstarter. You kind of, I mean, you doubled your target, right? It was like I remember looking; it was like twenty thousand or you yeah, want, or ten thousand, yeah. and then you doubled that. Yeah. Um, when you finish that campaign, like what's what's the kind of thought in your head? Are you kind of like, yeah, we know this is going to sell. We're kind of going to crack on now, or is it kind of like, oh shit, we've actually no, done more than we need? Yeah, I think because we we're already making another product at the start, we sort of had a head start. We had manufacturers, we had a lot of things in in, in play. Really, I think one thing is one thing to be to do with our successes. I don't think we ever really saw the Kickstarter as the goal. It was just. Stepping stone. So yeah, I guess and Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. Kickstarter. Um, I, I think you'd be surprised. Talk to a lot of people, and the, the crowdfunding campaign, whatever it is, is the goal, which is fine for a lot of things. But mm. for a hardware product like what we're doing, you, you know, you would, it's, you're never really going to get just far with the Kickstarter, especially back then. Like I know, I don't know about quad lock, but I know. Open a case that we did. I think we did twenty something thousand dollars on that, so maybe like twenty six thousand USD, something like that. And for the full thirty days, we were on Kickstarter in twenty. That would have been halfway through twenty eleven. It was the like one of the highest funding design projects on Kickstarter at the time, and only twenty six thousand dollars. So it was a different mentality back then as well. So you know, you're really just paying. You're not making any money. You're just covering costs, mm. getting started, learning. The best thing is learning about your audience, learning you know who they are, what they are, what they like, what they don't like, using all that knowledge, you know, building your website out, shipping, all of that, getting stock everywhere. And then it gives you a footing to go, let's go do this mm. properly. Let's start, you know, getting customers who don't know everything about us that aren't our friends, family, people that we might know or has been shared by someone, people who don't even know us. They may be on the other side of the world and they go, I like this, I'm going to buy it. Mm. Yeah. So when does it become, when did it become kind of like, this is this is when we actually really need to push this, like get it out there quickly? Because I guess with products from what I know about and people yeah. talk about, they're kind of worried about, I guess, creating something and if you don't get it out there quick enough, someone else is going to do it and yeah. copy you and, and yeah. do that kind of thing. I mean, I still... I mean, there's still a sense of urgency around what we do now. Um, there's more people copying us now than there ever has been. But we're selling more now than we ever have. So I think in the early days, now we have a bit of protection. I mean, you have your 
IP protection, your legal protection, you have all these things, but still, I think one of the best protections you can have is that if someone copied everything we did and did it even 10% better today, they still can't click, their, they could click their fingers and have the product if they had a lot of money, mm. but they couldn't click their fingers and have, you know, seven, eight years of um, history in the market and a brand name synonymous mm. with mounting in these markets. And we have people who've ridden across the world, you know, across the continent, you know, races all over the world. And Quadlock's been there and, and it's performed flawless. Like they can't have that. They're not going to have that. It would take years to get that. So that's sort of protection we have now in this space but at the same time if you rest on your laurels yeah it's not a good way to be so mm-hmm. we've always got to be pushing always got to try and be at the forefront both with product customer support um just things like we're, we're rolling out a new quadlock.asia website trying to give free shipping to all of asia pacific um just trying to you know have the best product but also the best offering the best way to get the product uh, and at the same time doing other cool stuff that we're doing at the moment that is just you know being involved in the community, talking with other um, other cycling business, other motorcycle business, other people doing interesting things on, on a bike, on a motorcycle, um, just sharing that kind of stories and content. Because, you know, if someone follows us, they might follow us because they bought a quadlock one day and they'll be buying it for the next one, but they probably follow us to, you know, they want us to know who's about to win the Tour Divide or what, you know, it could be a range of things, you know, what's the, the coolest um, uh, adventure touring motorcycle r- ride to do across South America, I don't know. So what? So looking at the product, so that's the, when we talk about the Kickstarter one, that was the original mm. um, stem mount. There's now like quite about four yeah. or five different, yeah. different types. How do you go from doing that to then, creating these new products, these new iterations? Is it, yeah. is it community kind of feedback or do you just think how can well, we actually... There's a lot. We do get a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback. Um, and that's just because we're lucky enough we have customers who are quite passionate about what we make and what they use. But at the same time, we've got... We probably always have more ideas than we do ability to, 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 to deliver on those ideas. So it's trying to work out what's the next step, what's the best ones to go after. Then we work that out and then go after those those next products. But at the same time, um, just having the product isn't enough. You've got to be able to introduce it into your ecosystem and have everyone understand that mm. now we're in a good position where people know we do multiple. You know, it doesn't take away. But in the early days, having selling more than one thing was difficult for us. So, mm. so yeah. when it comes to that, when you say like, oh, we've got loads of these ideas, what do they mostly center around? What is the kind of core... Obviously, it's the locking system, the quad yeah, lock. I guess yeah. the original quad lock. Is it all centered around how can we create? Yeah, no, I think the lock. I mean, that does. But I think if you go one step before, it's like solving a problem. Like someone has a problem. Problem is that originally is you know using maps on your bike. Um, that was before Strava and everything else. Then it becomes you know just getting your stats from your ride, or people do want want to do different things. Um, uh, Phones are getting bigger on the stem isn't as good. Out front might be better. So we move it out front. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it comes back from a need of solving a, solving a problem. Lots of it's sort of solution-based, I suppose. Mm. Uh, and just what's happening in the market. So you know, we've got a quite a popular car mount now. Wireless charging came out. And it's, okay, what if we could retrofit to all of our existing car mount users who have these nice car mounts that they like? Well, if we could retrofit the head and they could just take off the old quad lock head and put another head on there, then all of a sudden they've got a wireless charging mount with their wireless charging phone. And then you go down that path and look at what that would look like. And and it's really well received by the audience because they've already got the car mount. They just need the wireless charging head. We make the wireless charging head and they can start using the wireless charging capabilities of their phone because before that, most people probably weren't even using that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what what about when you talk about earlier with phones? How many new versions of yeah, yeah, yeah. before? Yeah. How does it work? From one thing I was thinking, like, do you, do you get like a, yeah. a head start? You know, can you start? No, we wish it? we did. We don't. I mean, we're the only uh, bike mount product sold by Apple. Apple sell Quadlock, but they don't give us any any heads up or anything like that. It's a it's a tricky game. 
So, so what's the process? So when, when they do their big presentation app or they're announcing this new phone? We've already made it well before then, but effect, effectively it's, it's just, yeah, made before then. So for example, we could do, we're doing, we're rolling out into more, more phones at the moment, like Huawei, Pixel. Uh, we've done the Note case and that kind of thing. Sometimes we, we, we're playing catch up in some regards. So Pixel and Note, they were already out in the market. We're just getting that data, making a case for it putting it out there, next time Pixel rolls around, next time these ones roll around, we'll be wanting to get that data early. And sometimes manufacturers have it, sometimes it's leaked data, and you're just hoping that the stuff that you get is right. Mm. But at a certain point in time, usually all the different data out in the market starts to look look the same. Okay. Um, and what about, you know, we're sitting in the office now, how many employees do you have right now? Uh, now in Australia we have uh, 16. Okay. So what what's the... Um, What's it like growing like to this level? Like you know, you're managing sixteen. You yeah, got international kind of companies yeah, as well. Yeah, I think uh, we're we're fairly fairly different to a lot of a lot of businesses. Whereas we sort of from day one have been set up in a fairly like scalable kind of way. Uh, so we've probably been able to do a lot with a little amount of people. Uh, in saying that. It's still quite a few people, and we're 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 hiring more. We were talking before about a role we've got to advertise right now. Um, Sam, who's out there, and he started on Monday. Uh, it's it's definitely not easy, and and it, and it's your challenges change in business. I'd say, effectively, when you start, it's just can we make this product? Can can we get someone to like the product? <laughs> you know, can we make you know make the product? Then when you start scaling, is can we make enough of these products? then it's, you know, can, do we have enough cash flow to keep selling these products and making them and keeping the whole thing afloat? Mm. And then it's, you know, we need people to help and then it's getting people in to help and then it's you're getting people to help in different kind of roles and you're getting people that are all-rounders because you, you can't really have one. And, every, and then you start to get a bit more specialised but then we don't want to have people that are totally in a silo so we still want people across because we think that's where the advantages compared to a big business. So it is tricky and sometimes you, you think one thing and then two years later you start thinking another thing as you, as you go and work your way through it. But yeah, it's definitely not easy and I think it'd be very easy to think, oh, once we get to, you know, I don't know, having 100,000, 200,000, half a million, a million customers, you think, oh, things will be easier then. It doesn't necessarily get easier. It's just different things that are, mm. that are the worries at that time and different things that are, the the challenges, I suppose. So, do you, yeah. do you can you pick out moments from where you are now to when you started out, like a, a real high moment and a real kind of low moment? Yeah, I think some low low moments. Uh, the reason I ask that because I mean the trip I'm doing. So I yeah, kind of, yeah. You when I talk to um, <laughs> when I talk to people about it, I and mean, especially Eric Nolan, yeah, who, yeah, was, yeah. Um, who, uh, who we interviewed, he was like, with this stuff, you get like, super highs, you get yeah. super lows. You never really get that middle bit. Um, no, you just got to learn to embrace them. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is, I think maybe well, it's a curse of a business. So maybe a bit of a curse of an entrepreneur. You're always looking forward to where you where you're aiming at, and then when you get there, you never actually arrive because you're already looking forward before you get there. And I know I think I'm personally very guilty of that. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think though one thing I've learned is you've got to celebrate the wins. So you've got to let people arrive at that spot before you move on. Even if you're already looking looking past and beyond that. So yeah, that it there's definitely there's definitely highs along the along the along the ways of Little things that are highs for me is when, you know, you walk down the street. I can't even really say this one. If you walk down the street now, we will see five quad locks, pretty much guaranteed. Um, but when you first start seeing your product consistently in the market or when you first start going overseas and you consistently start seeing your product, those are massive highs because yeah, it's only one person with it on their bike in New York, but you've just seen your product and I mean, statistically, I know there's a lot of them. If we go to, I don't know, 
uh, if we went to the Netherlands, right? But if we were in the Netherlands and we saw one, we'd still be wrapped. Mm. So there's things like that that uh, it's not like, oh, today we did a thousand sales. It's like, because those numbers sort of get foggy and they're not real, but it's when someone comes in, like when Naresh comes in here and he's just ridden across New Zealand and had people sharing the whole way or when the uh, the tandem men finally get back home and you know they've had one quad lock on their bike for the whole circumnavigating the world. They're the kind of very cool things that are that are highlights, I think. What about um what about these stories we were talking about earlier? And one on your website as well where you talked about how the uh, quad lock stay keeps your phone in place no matter what. Yeah. And there was one of the quotes we kind of talked about was where yeah. people have had these huge crashes, yeah. they've yeah. broken bones, they've yeah. done some damage. And yeah. I mean that's the thing is you've read that that one review. We've had, I don't know, people crash a lot. <laughs> we have had so many of those reviews. Or it's just something that all of a sudden Instagram starts blowing up and people are saying, you know, Froome's using your your case and, and quadlock on his rides. And then we, you know, oh, we didn't send him one. Go through and we search and say, oh, Michelle Froome. And I would say his address and they just got online and bought it. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, is that was that one of those highs when you're kind of like you're selling? Yeah, well, even it's just that it, it's you know? just that you feel that the product has gone beyond what you're just doing. It's starting to propel itself in some ways and do its own thing out in the market. Hmm. Um, I think one of the things is like if you're talking about a business high or something like that, what happens is you might win an award or something like that. Once we got uh, like. Like Tech Fast 50, I think it was like 12th, 14th, I don't even know the number, fastest growing startup in Australia at the time, or business in Australia. You're like, that's nice, but by the time you've won that award, you're already six months ahead, beyond from the, like where you were when you entered it, and it's sort of like it doesn't mean anything anymore. So I think, yeah, I mean, lows are things like, there's always lows. Um, that pop up their little head here and there, sometimes around products, sometimes around like you, you see a, like legit someone, like a customer, you end up reading through a ticket and they have, they just don't have the experience that you want every customer to have. The thing is at scale, it's going to happen and it does happen. But, and if, if I said to you, I don't know, like, you know, it's less than 1% of people would have a bad experience for it. It doesn't sound like, I mean, it's still a lot of people. It'd be less than that, right? But if I said that, you think, oh, yeah. But then when you read us, if you read someone's specific ticket or story or tale, and then you then you think about the one person, you're like, oh, that's shit. We don't want them to buy it from here and then it not rock up and it gets sent back there and then it didn't rock up again. It's like a lot of it might be out of our hands, but it's still us. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things can be lows. And if you, sometimes we've found out, you know, too late and it's happened to a whole bunch of people and it's just a it's just a i think when you you become a victim of scale in that in that um in that regard it's not you know you're here you're not seeing one quad lock get sent out we don't do any of that but we're still very responsible for the system and how that works and the experience everyone gets can we guarantee that every single person who ever buys a quad lock is going to get the best experience unfortunately no, we can't. It's impossible. Um, do we do our best? We do our best. Um, so things like that can be little lows at little times, but at, at, you do have to put in perspective, you know, the majority of people are getting a fantastic a fantastic um, result. And when you look out in the market, that's why people rave about it. I think we have like over 50,000 reviews on our website now. It's, that's a lot of people that care enough to bother clicking back through and writing something on your website after they're bought. It's not putting it on social. It's not like it's a lot of effort for someone to care enough to do that. And they do it. Which is they why do it in droves. people people complain about you see more complaints than you do positive reviews because I think people are so motivated well, by a complaint. They are, but I think also you have to do more work around something negative. So if we, something negative happens, someone's shipment, well, the most popular, not popular thing to happen, the most common thing to happen is that something gets lost in the mail. If something gets lost, and, and some places are better than others, and we sell it to 150 countries, so things happen. 
if something gets lost in the mail, we're, we're going to hear about it and we have to fix it, right? So we hear about all that. We could have, you know, 100 people come back this week and write a glowing review. It's there and we see it, but it's not, we don't have to do anything with it. So it doesn't stand out as much. I think that's the thing. Mm. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's next then? What are you, how do you think, you, yeah. know, you were just saying yeah. how like as an entrepreneur, you were kind of always thinking forward. So you're probably already a few years ahead of, Oh, I don't know about years. I don't know about years. Probably not thinking that far forward enough. But, I mean, next is what I was talking about before, with on Quadlock Asia. We already have a lot of good customers in some of these markets, but just servicing them better, just making all our products available to them, free shipping, better shipping options, that kind of thing. Um, Make it more of a priority to service those markets. Um, And when we do that, that means we can turn on the whole marketing machine in these markets. And generally where there's markets where you've got good customers and you've never really marketed, they're finding you and they're finding out about you and then they're seeking you out, means there'll be a lot more people in those markets that are a very good fit. They just, you just haven't met yet. Mm. Yeah. So there's that. They've, we've got some really uh, exciting stuff to coming up. Um, got some exciting stuff in the um, motorcycle market and, uh, especially good for like motorcycle touring market. Motorcycle touring market isn't that different to some of the bikepacking type market we find. It's, it's pretty similar. So, I've actually, you know, on the way from Sydney to here, I actually yeah. come across a few people doing yeah. similar trips. Yeah. Same as me, yeah. same bags, even yeah. using the similar kind of like straps and yeah. systems and yeah. stuff, tents, everything. But just a completely just, different mode and speed. Just different mode, different speed, when you don't have to pedal. But I think... You know, the same desires are there, the same kind of freedom, the games, the draw is the same. It's similar. It's similar. Yeah. yeah. We had the similar smile. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And yeah. Summer, they gave me yeah. the thumbs up. Yeah, they were loving. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of knew. I'm sure yeah. we knew what each yeah. other thought. Yeah. It was like a mutual respect going Definitely. on. Definitely. <laughs> um, let's talk about, um, well, Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of where it all started. Yeah. And kind of as soon as I, I didn't know you guys were here, and mm. I knew, knew quite like it. I mean, it's... I've, there's not many other people, um, but there's no one really doing exactly what you do, which is why you kind of stood out. Everyone's using it that I see. And then as soon as I knew you guys were in Melbourne, I was like, okay, you, you guys started from Melbourne. You kind of kickstarted from Melbourne. You're kind of doing everything from here. Yeah, it's yeah, like there's yeah. something going on in Melbourne. So yeah. what are your thoughts on starting out in, in Melbourne? See, I don't know. Um, what is it? What is it? What's, it? what's I was Melbourne told, got? The other night I was at, this isn't necessarily a cycling thing. This is more of a startup e e-commerce thing. I was in an event with some, um, uh, we use the Shopify platform uh, for our e-commerce sites. And I was in an event with some um, some of the bigger Shopify uh, merchants from Melbourne. And it's funny, Shopify run a business awards um, for the whole of the world, for everyone who opens up a Shopify store. So many of the winners of that have been from Melbourne. It's just a really odd thing. And I think I think part of it is that we are new school enough city in the fact that we think global. Like we're big enough that we think global, but we're not that big that you that you th- that you start thinking insular. We're not that big that you don't think, you know, just going to Sydney's not going to cut it. Just going to Perth and Adelaide, and like you think, okay, I've got to be. We've got to be bigger than just where we are, but still, Melbourne's sort of on the world stage enough that it makes us think it is possible from here. So I think. I mean, it's possible from anywhere the way the internet is these days, but it's just you've got to have that belief, I suppose. And you see other little things around you, other possi- other other things doing well. You hear stories of other products coming out of Melbourne. And I think it's just a belief. You've got to believe you can do it. If you don't believe you can do it, you'll probably never even start. Mm. So believing you can do it helps you start. Um, and is that belief kind of like infectious for being in that community in Melbourne? Are people, other people doing it or do you not feel uh, that as much? I don't know if it's from, I'm not, I couldn't say it's from like hanging out with someone you feel like that way, but I just think you get a certain vibe and you get a certain understanding and you hear success stories, even just when you're growing up, that this is this thing here did well and they went here or um, other, someone else was a product designer and they made a product and it did well and, and you know, they, they turned it into an international product. I think one thing for what we're doing, the kind of product we're doing 
you can't, like our business model wouldn't work just selling it in Melbourne. Like you couldn't do it. It has to be bigger than Melbourne for it to work. And I think you just feel that it's possible. I don't know if it's necessarily just a Melbourne trade, but there's you know a lot of cool startups coming out of Melbourne. Um, like, I mean, cycling in general is pretty strong here. You, you would have realized you rocked up, met one or two people, then realized you could yeah. spend a month or two just talking I'm to still, cycling I'm people. Still here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's just got a lot going for it in the city. There is a lot. I mean, when we started, meetups and things like that, places where you can go and learn and, and find out podcasts, there wasn't that much out there, to be perfectly honest. But now there is, you could go to a meetup every night of the week in Melbourne to learn something about, I know, storytelling, social media, mm-hmm. marketing, sales, techie, like coding. Like you could do, you could just learn something, e-commerce. You could learn something every night of the week um, if you wanted to, like Internet of Things. It's all there. You just got to do it. There's a lot of people who are interested in, I think, less mainstream stuff, I suppose, because at the start, when you do this, like when you start saying, we're going to put iPhones on bikes, that's not mainstream. People go, I don't know, people ever want to do that. <laughs> but there's shitloads of people who want to do that. Mm. Yeah. So what what about well cycling? We've not talked anything about yeah. cycling so far. Like how involved in cycling are you? Like how how, how big of a part of that is your life? Uh it used to be a bigger part. When I was young it was a very big part. Um like cycling like equal freedom for me when I was younger. I mean it still does for lots of people. But you know, we don't have a car, you don't have a way, you're in the burbs. Like, that is your ticket. Mm. <laughs> ticket to go do what you want. So that was a big part of it for me. Uh, but then also, like, then you just, you're using it for one thing, but then you like it because you may not have the money to spend on it, but you just get into bikes and you like bikes and things like that. Um, but at the same time, I think, uh, like, I'm a business partner who loves bikes, loves cycling. Probably doesn't cycle as much as he used to either. Um, but for me, cycling is one of those things that's always there. I can go out of it and then get back into it mm. and start, you know, I've always got a group of mates who could be riding or will be riding or won't take much. I've got a mate who's a cycling nut. Um, so it's like always there. I can go back to it any time. It's one of those things, once, once your legs have gone around a few times, it only takes you a couple of rides to get, obviously not right back, but mm. feeling good again and, and back into it. So yeah. I, I, I have no doubt. I'm not cycling a ton at the moment, but I have no doubt. It's only a couple of years till it'll probably kick back in and then I'll be doing that a lot more than something else. So I'm super yeah. surprised at how many people are cycling in the city. Oh, yeah. There's a few, but yeah. I mean, in terms of actually getting around, I've never mm. heard Melbourne being a, one of the places where, you, you know, it's great for cycling. Yeah, I mean, the more I hear about it and being here, you kind no, of... No, it's pretty good. And there's, there's some really good, like, cycling materials going into the city now. And um, they just like they're game changers. You know, Yarra Trail I used to ride ride to work along that, and I just saw that get so busy and so well utilized. Mm. It's so good to see that you know any any money that gets spent on any of that infrastructure must pay itself back so quickly because it's not like it gets put there and a few people ride on it. No, it gets put there and it gets used to death. It gets hammered, and especially how busy it is with cars cycling. It's, there's so much a better option. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so many, so many regards. I mean, if you're here on Chapel Street, how many bikes are going up and down? If you just look at our bike, like, like you know, raining today and still our bike rack out here and there's six, seven bikes in it. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a big part of it. Okay, final final question. Yeah. And this is, I guess, from what you've done, kind of how you developed, and I'm, I'm really probably, when I ask this question, I'm looking at, the people out there who have got these ideas, you know, we've all got friends yeah, and people yeah. who've all got these yeah. ideas out there. They'll think, yeah. oh, if only I just did this, if I had this yeah. idea and did this. We've all got these, I have them and, and yeah, yeah, have them yeah. as well. If you have to give those people some advice, yeah. you know, say like from from drawing on a piece of paper to talking to your, your wife and yeah. your family about this idea, what would you what would you say to them to just get on with it? I First, I'll say two, two things and they're a little bit contradictory, but I'd say you know, just start, like just, just start. Whatever you do, if you just start, you'll be ahead of where you were because you don't have to be right. But if you just start, you'll, you'll, you'll be getting closer to being right. 
Um, but the other thing I'd say is that don't just, I, I, I always find, you know, the idea is probably only one or two percent. Mm. Idea is important, but it's, it, what will make it or not make it is everything you do after it. And it's a journey, it's a process. It's not that, you know, you, you gotta be, you gotta love what you're doing when you're doing it, but you gotta be willing to change that up if you have to. So, you know, if the idea is X and you're married to X for the time being, you're too passionate about X, that's perfect. S start there. But then, you know, if it goes to Y, why is the new thing that you're completely into it and and doing and all that like? Because I've seen I've seen multiple things happen. I see people that are just can't start, just for some reason just can't start. The idea's not perfect, or something's mm -hmm. not perfect, or the timing's not perfect. If you wait for perfect, that's you'll never start. And I see the other thing that you know people can be so rigid around what their idea is or what the thing that they want to do is that. This, you know, their uh, perception of it is may not meet where the market's at or what is actually needed by someone, but they can't be malleable at all. Um, what I see does work is when people have a starting point, and it's just a starting point, and they from there they start moving forward. That that's I think where. The commonality is around things that do take on or take off from businesses, service businesses, just whatever it is. Like, um, yeah, but I'll, at the end, at the end of the day, you do have to be passionate about it, though. So it's not being wishy-washy. So passionate about, you know, the widget, the service, the business model, the customer, the whole thing. You can't just care about just this much of it, and the rest of it will take care of itself. That that also doesn't work. But what you're saying is you don't even need to be an expert in all those things either. No, no. I think I, I, I think that this day and age, not being an expert is a massive, massive advantage mm. because you come at it with a clean slate and you come at it with no preconceived. I think about marketing. I think we're, we're turning into quite a strong marketing, um, a company that's quite strong in the marketing game, right, and e-commerce. We came at it with zero... Um, what would you call it, like um, qualification? But that was a massive advantage I see now because we were onto things that worked well before, you know, big corporates, competition, agencies. And that's just because it just come back to, well, we don't have, no, we don't have any preconceived ideas. Let's just test and see what works and do more of what works. Just that so you, logical so approach. You're saying, if imagine back then if you had someone who was a pure expert, you know, some sort of, Big, we had weird. someone who just done a marketing degree and an MBA. They would have gone about it a whole different way. Mm. I remember, I remember a conversation I had once with someone with an MBA, and they were they were at an event teaching, and I was saying that it's all about structuring debt correctly. Business, this is. Oh, yeah, this is interesting, and they went on to say that. You, know, you can't have a fast-growing business without having correctly structured debt. And I'm thinking, you can have a fast-growing business without any debt. And then I started thinking, he's just told, taught all these people listening to him. The expert has said, you can't do this. So there's a chance, oh, I mean, maybe they didn't take it, but there's a chance everyone sitting here is thinking, oh, my idea, I can't do it unless I go borrow money. And that's really worrying to me. Because isn't that the whole Silicon Valley model now from what I keep reading is that pump loads of money in, don't I make mean, any yeah, money for a long, uh, long time. That, that's one model, but it's just, I'm not saying that's not a, like, that's not even structured, that, that's, that's raising capital, right? This was more of a sort of traditional business model, go and get, I don't know, line of credit set up and all this kind of thing at your bank. I was thinking, I'm not saying for... Like that is probably good advice for a certain business, going and raising a heap of money from investors, VCs, good advice for certain businesses. Some businesses might just be better bootstrapping, but what it is is having this preconceived idea and someone telling you this is the way to do it, mm. 
can be very dangerous because you may be thinking, expert told me this, I have to do it this way. And if I can't do it this way, I won't do it at all. And that's the worst thing to do. So if you come at it with no preconceived ideas and you're just like, what can we make work? And how do we feel comfortable doing it? It's just a, for me, it's a better place to start. And so, I don't know, I, I, yeah, I hear people say, oh, but I'm not a marketer, but I'm not this, but I'm not that. Yeah, but you're capable of learning. And you're capable of probably teaching yourself a lot. Yeah, read a few blogs, get a few pointers from here and there, but then prove it to yourself. Have a play with things, you know. We live in this time where you can do so much just from in front of your laptop that you really can get a lot away, you really can get a lot of knowledge, and you can really, you know, try a lot for very little money. I mean, think about what we've done. I think we sold 150 countries in our first three to six months 20 years ago to do that. Well, you couldn't do that unless you're already a multinational, I imagine. Mm. It would be very difficult. Now, people do it all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think back to even starting this podcast, you know. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I had a, an idea, but I, I didn't know really what to do. And I think the same thing, you know, I kind of read about it, thought about it, kind of got all the kind of bits and yeah. pieces of advice from, from different sources and stuff. Um, but in the end, I just said, fuck it. I How just, much more do you learn from when you just start doing it, though? Exactly. I think it was to the point where it felt good enough, you know. Mm. Not perfect, but good enough. Yeah. And There's then, nothing wrong with doing your research. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for me, it's kind of one kind of rule I always kind of go with is, is never make the same mistake twice. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we were talking about kind of errors and stuff, and yeah. recording and, and, yeah. and, and mixing things up. And I've met errors the whole way along. I yeah. mean, even, even today, uh, you know, there's different things you can do better all the time. But I always remember just don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. And I think the thing is with that, if you make the mistake, and you make the rule like I'm never making it again. But if someone told you the same mistake, it's just not the same. Yeah. It's just not the same. Mm -hmm. You're not going to learn. Yeah, you might know the lesson, but have you learned the lesson? Probably not. <laughs> cool. So that's the that's the, the quad luck school of thought then. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to impose it on everyone else here, but <laughs> that's sort of what I'm thinking. But it's good to share kind of like Oh, that, we I do, guess. yeah. I'm sure if you ask these guys, they give you something mm. something similar. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, thanks for giving up your time. No worries. And, and talking to me about your yeah. whole history, where you've come from, Melbourne. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, good luck. No, thank you. Best thank of you. luck.